Hey now, it's Mike Gilbert, host of the Mike and JD Show, right here on the Voices of Wrestling Podcasting Network. Join JD by God Oliva and myself every Thursday night live on the Voices of Wrestling YouTube channel at 11.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time as we stay up all night discussing all the hottest stories in professional wrestling. You can also check us out right here on the Voices of Wrestling podcasting feed or you can subscribe to the Mike and JD Show feed. Now, enjoy the show. This podcast is a member of the Voices of Wrestling podcasting network. Visit VoicesOfWrestling.com to hear the rest of our great podcasts as well as show reviews, columns, opinions, and updates across the world of wrestling. Welcome back to another episode of The Good, The Bad, and The CM Punk. Oh, wait, I'm sorry. I meant The Hungy here on the Voice of Wrestling Podcasting Network. I'm your host, Tyler Forrest. With me, as always, is Fred Moreland. And Fred, CM Punk could be coming back, and we get to talk about it again. Hooray. Yes, just what we've always wanted was to not move past that. Um, Seemed kind of inevitable, but yeah, it's a very, uh, continues to be kind of a silly situation. do you think that uh, what's your read on the information constantly getting out through the uh, through the FTR ball specifically? Uh, I don't know. Um, obviously, um, Bald has a agenda when it comes to the uh, bring back CM Punk because obviously they're buddies. They they like each other. They like to hang out. They like they want to wrestle together and. Uh, based off of the first match that Punk had after he won the AEW World title, uh, it was a trios match with FTR. And we kind of hypothesized, like, just in general, like, oh, maybe this could end up being a trios team when the trios titles come around, which we would find out is in less than three months from that point. So, like, it's obvious that they want him back. Yeah, Nobody's dumb, but it, sometimes it's a little hard to take seriously just because they really do want them back and it's a conversation based mainly on like friendship rather than business um and it it would be good business to bring back cm punk at least from a just a dollars and cents drawing perspective but how is it going to impact the rest of the locker room because we've heard a lot don't want to work with them um i'm i want more sources and i'm not going to believe anything until we see cm punk uh verbally say i'm not coming back or he walks back through the curtain yeah, I, I wonder if this is like how how much of this is oh gosh darn it we just really do want a good old CM back in the the locker room and the good graces of everyone he just wants to to wrestle again ever since reading Steve Kern's book and how much of it is a cynical uh, negotiation through the media um, and I, you know, I I don't think there's any real way to know at this point in time what it is because that's really you know within Mr. Punk himself. But yeah, I mean, it's it's uh, kind of tiring. <laughs> if I'm being honest, it is entirely. It's a very silly thing. I feel like. Yeah, it is. It is a silly thing. We're not going to spend much time talking about it until we get some more concrete evidence. But we are going to start the show off with listener. 
questions and we had some good ones if you want to submit a question to us all you have to do is dm the show myself or fred on twitter but the easiest way to do so is to send them in the voice of wrestling discord where we have our own channel towards the top of the channel list and it is called the good the bad and the hungry obviously because we are the good the bad and the hungry um we're going to start off with diego garcia um what sounds better to us Wardlow versus Powerhouse Hobbs or Kanosuke Takeshita versus Jay White. And I will let you start off with this one, Fred. Um, which match would I think is better would, would be better? Uh, I think it definitely would be Takeshita Jay White. I'm assuming they're getting like a at least 20 minutes of uh time to put on a main event level match. Uh, I think those two would be they're just much better workers than Hobbs and Wardlow at this point in time. Um, we'll get into the whole Wardlow Hobbs angle in a bit, but, um, absent of any, you know, analysis of a build, uh, which there's only been one so far, the other hasn't been anything yet other than speculation, I guess. Um, yeah, I, I would think that Takeshita and Jay White, uh, two of the, probably the 50 best wrestlers in the world conservatively, uh, would be able to put on a pretty damn good match. I think the one I'd be most excited for is the Kesha versus Jay White. I know Jay White still has a Switchblade character, but is he going to work Switchblade style that he did in Japan in the United States? How much of that is going to carry over? And it, I'm very intrigued by that. I'm very intrigued by what Takeshi could do with a guy like that. And I think Jay White has the ability to be able to wrestle a much more exciting style of match. But like I said, a lot of it has to do with what this character is going to continue to be. We think it's going to be straight Switchblade, but they it seemed to create like a Bullet Club offshoot, almost like NWO like Wolfpack, like the Bullet Club Gold is what they yeah. called it last night. What is that going to entail? How is this going to be different? How is it going to be the same? We have so many questions still when we're only at this point of recording nine days into Jay White being in all elite wrestling. So we still have a lot of questions and not a lot of answers. So I think that more intrigue is there. Hobbs and Wardlow I've seen before. I've seen it a couple times. It's been good. It's been disappointing. Um, their peak, I think they could have like a four and a half star match if they if everything were to kind of line up together, right? But they could also have a dud because the, the last one, I think I gave like three and a half just because it, it didn't feel like an organic finish. It was just convoluted. It was unfortunate the way they crowned Hobbs as the champion with um, QTV. But, I mean, that could still be good. I would just prefer to see um, White and Takeshita. I, I, I think most people would say the same. Yeah, I think like that would be a pretty normal take. I'd expect for anyone familiar with the work of all four. All right, Fred. Our good friend... South Dakota Jones has this question. Commit to what you will think the all-in main event will be right now. Uh, okay, I probably should have looked at these ahead of time. Um, uh, I, I do wonder if it's going to be Omega Osprey, if Osprey is healthy enough uh, but for the for the lulls. Um, let's say CM Punk versus uh, a member of the elite to be named, which will be uh, Michael Nakazawa. I think it's going to be CM Punk versus Kenny Omega. Um, I I think Will Ospreay will be in the semi-main, but Will Ospreay is going to be wrestling Kenny Omega at Forbidden Door, and I think I think that's all but certain. But it could be Omega versus Tanahashi because there's a lot of lace story there 
Will Ospreay's coming out with a shoulder injury. Oh, the crafty veteran Tana is able to um, beat an injured Will Ospreay. I think you could tell that story and it would be really good. But it feels like Forbidden Door is going to be Kenny Omega Will Ospreay too, at least for now. But I think you have a point where having him in the main event at Wembley Stadium with two of the top five best wrestlers in the world, I think it, it would be an easy way to sell thousands upon thousands of tickets. Um, we, I would project right now their pre-sale is going to do about 50,000. That's my guess. We had 25,000 pre-sale signups um, already within like 24 hours of announcing the show. I would guess that we're probably going to hit about 50,000 in that first day of sales. And you announced Kenny Omega versus Will Ospreay. That is the kind of match that could move upwards of eight to 10,000 tickets. Will it do that? I don't know. Probably not. But I, I think that's, that's the kind of match that would draw extra people to show up for considering first time in the UK or hell first time in Europe and only the second singles meeting, like it, with, with their current like peak of Will Ospreay and Kenny Omega, it'd be the third time they've ever met in singles, but I'm not counting 2015 PWG. It's just different that like with where these two guys are at. Um, I, I, I'm still going to go punk Omega. Cause I, I think they're going to end up doing forbidden door. Of all the guys that have been grieved against CM Punk, I do think Omega is probably the one most likely to not have an issue working with him. If I remember correctly, they kind of um, buried the hatchet. Yeah, I, I think those two. Anyway. Yeah, I think those two are pretty cool right now. So uh, I don't think it's going to be like Chris Jericho, who you know maybe he'd be willing to work with him, but I don't know. He's Jericho's taking some very public stances on this, so. Jericho seemed to be against bringing Punk in in a general sense when he came in the first time because of their experience together in WWE, but it's also Chris Jericho. He knows how to make money. And if Punk is in, he's going to make more of it. Um, But they don't have to directly work together, and that's kind of where those lines can be drawn. And ever since then, you're right. He's been even more public about his dislike for CM Punk. All right. We have one last question. JMS3035 in the Discord. Who currently has your favorite music? Entrance music, that is. Um, this is a really good one. I, I'm not even sure. I'm going to defer to you first, Fred. Uh, my top two are uh, Adam Page. Uh, his theme just is an absolute bop. Um, and uh, Willow Dinagale. Uh, she is the most bubbly baby face music I think I've possibly ever heard. Um, just, yeah. Fits her character perfectly, and you know, it's just—I mean, if Taz sings along to it, it's good. So, I'll be honest. I think the best—if um, you—if we're just going to talk AEW, um, I think it's Adam Page. If we're going to talk professional wrestling, it's—it's it's a three-way tie. It's Kenny Omega's um, cleaner music. It's Kazuchika Okada's Rainmaker. Or it's causing the interact Minoru Suzuki. Like, I, I think those are the three standouts for me. As um, uh, the hungry dog Odie is working at something, I have no idea what he's just being. <laughs> he's just being Odie. He, oh, he's staring outside, so he's working at something outside. Cool. Um, the door's open. Just go outside, dog. You're you're too good for that. Um, but th- this, we're really in a good time for entrance music. There's a lot of good stuff out there right now. Yeah. Yeah, uh, Kento Miyahara is another one that needs mentioning, um, just because he 
I, I, I don't know. It's something he's been using for years, and uh, it's matches him perfectly, I, I think. Um, let's see. Yeah. I can't. Yeah, I think that's uh, most the old Hiroshi Tanahashi uh, theme song was great. Not I not go ace so much, but the one before that. Yeah, love and energy was great. Um, yeah. I will say, Shoto Amino's entrance music is really good. And kind of gives me similar vibes to what Love and Energy was. It's it's not a one to one comparison, but it gives me that kind of like I am big boy baby face. And there was a big discussion on Shota in the office Slack the other day. Uh, yeah, I I I think he's got it. I'm very intrigued to see. I want to see him with Jericho again because they they set that up at Forbidden Door last year, and I think we may get something this year uh, with maybe a Shota versus Chris Jericho singles match because I think Jericho wants to make him. And that would be cool. I think that'd be really cool and an opportunity for Shota to kind of take it up to the next level. Um, but let's get into some AEW news. Um, top story of the week. We had multiple returns. Kenny Omega and the Young Bucks come out and they attack the Blackpool Combat Club and the return of Jeff Hardy. I, I'm not going to get excited about the return of Jeff Hardy. And we can argue to our blue in the face about the fact that he's returning after having what feels like his 30th DUI. Um, and I believe his punishment was something like he, he can't have a license for like 10 years or something. Like it's, it's some pretty brutal stuff. Um, at, from a strictly wrestling perspective, wrestling only, because we're going to not ignore the fact that he's back with um, all these issues with drunk driving. Uh, we know they're there and it's absolutely gross. It is what it is. We're going to talk about it from a wrestling perspective. What does he bring? Like, uh, he he got a great pop. He looked like he was really slow moving with that chair in the ring. Um, like, do we have anything left with the Hardy Boys here? I mean, you have their name, I guess. Oh. <laughs> um, I thought he was moving better than Matt Hardy has at points, but boy, oh boy, that's uh, uh that's that's rough, man. Um, yeah. I, I'm not. I mean, I will say Jeff Hardy had that fantastic match with Darby Allen right before his issues arose, uh, but he practically had to kill himself and Darby to get there. I don't know, man. I, I get the the desire for you know the name recognition of the Hardys and everything, and uh, I'm just not feeling it right now. It's not. It's it's not. Uh, it doesn't feel great. <laughs> No, it doesn't feel great. Um, I did like the return of the Elite. We're going to talk about that more here in a little bit. But let's talk about some signings, Fred. There were a bunch of them. Business uh, time. I'm, I'm just going to list them all off, and then we can talk about them, okay? FTR Hair announced during the Rampage tapings they had signed four-year contracts with AEW and that they'll be retiring after that. Tony Schiavone announced on his podcast what happened when uh, that Billy Starks has signed a contract with all Elite. Sky Blue officially signed with All Elite and got the graphic. And Brian Cage has re-signed a three-year contract with AEW slash ROH. That, I'm, I'm a big fan of the Brian Cage signing. Sky Blue could potentially have something. She's only 23 years old. And FTR potentially retiring. I mean, I don't know how old they are, but they're probably going to be in their mid-40s by the time they call it quits. The one I love the most is Billy Starks. The girl's 18. She's been on the Indies with for feels like four years. And she's showed improvement. 
And she'll be put in positions where she's not going to be asked to do something where she could fail. And I think that would be really nice for development to can you, and to put her in good spots. And by the time she's 22, she could potentially be a main eventer in this company and then have 20 years. Like, I, I love the idea of this signing. Will she ever get there? I don't know. But the idea behind it and how much experience she has, it's like we talked about with Riho. She was wrestling at, starting what, at the age of 12. And she's been in the business, what, like 16 years already? Something and she's like not that, even yeah. 30? Like, you're kind of trying to um, strike while the iron's getting warm. And you're not doing it when the person is about to turn 30. You're doing it when the person is 18. Yeah. And I think that's awesome. Um, now, we could argue, should Billy Starks have even been wrestling? Um, that's a whole different conversation. At least her dad was traveling with her. So it was, I mean, you're not, t- hopefully, you're not talking about any kind of child exploitation. It sounds like dad was just there to, you know, be like a caretaker and just make sure she was being treated right. And especially with the Me Too movement, like that's, that can get really murky, but it sounds like everything went well as far as that aspect. And now she's with a major professional wrestling company who um, can hopefully develop her into something great. Yeah. Um, hopefully she'll get some ex- uh, experience. Um, I'd like her to keep going over to Japan on a regular basis. I think that would help her out a lot. Um, uh, but yeah, I'm uh, cautiously optimistic that uh, she will turn into something really good. I think she's been well overrated for a little bit just because of the buy-in she's got but that's also a good thing because she's been able to get over pretty easily with a certain segment of the crowd um which i'm taking as a positive so hopefully it works out with her um i i don't think she's i think she's shown some flashes in the last few matches of hers i've watched where i'm starting to kind of see you know the ability and the potential stardom there uh just hoping it uh develops fully yeah. Um, what do you think about FTR retiring in uh, four years? I'll believe it when I see it. Um, so Cash will be 39 and Dax will be 42. So like that's not out of the range of possibility, but it also feels like wrestlers these days are hanging around longer than you know most previous generations or at least what I was used to in the 90s. Mm-hmm. And again, people aren't dropping dead like they were in the 90s. So, you know, it's a different issue. Um Unfortunately, a much better resolved one. Um, but I guess we'll see. I mean, I I don't believe it just because it seems like wrestlers never actually retire. Um, maybe they'll take a step back in their schedule or something. But, you know, that's four years away. It's really hard to hard to see. Yeah. Um, I mean, Tyree Kill came out and said that yeah, he'll retire after the 2025 season. And he's going to be at, what, 32, 33? At that point, that feels a little unlikely too. That, like you said, we'll just have to wait and see. This is we're going to combine these next two. Um, FTR keeps talking about CM Punk wanting to return to wrestling. Fightful reported that Punk has approached AEW recently about his return, and we kind of alluded to that a little bit in the pre-show and like right when we first got on the air. But I think this is what makes it even more intriguing: the go-home dynamite for Forbidden Doors in Chicago, and if you're going to bring him back. You probably want to do it where he's going to get a baby face pop. And that's in probably. Chicago. Um, and then Forbidden Door, you can announce whatever. You were talking about Punk Tanahashi 
Maybe that becomes Punk Tanahashi again. You don't have to worry about the AEW world title. You could get a dream match. Hopefully, Brian Danielson gets either Zack Sabre Jr. or, or Okada at that point. Um, and then that could be like the last little piece because Tony Khan doesn't like to have a full card right away. He likes to build it up and add stuff as you go. And we didn't even get with the last Forbidden Door card. We know how murky that was in general. Right. There's a bunch of injuries too. The four-way wasn't announced until that final show in Milwaukee. So I think that if you're going to have CM Punk return, that feels like an ideal date. Yeah, I mean, it feels like a, a layup for sure if you can get him back by then. Um, you know, a whole lot of what ifs just around that situation and always will be until either he comes back or, like you said earlier, announces he's not. Um, yeah, I guess we'll see. Um, I, I, I do wonder what the reaction will be if uh, there is no CM Punk that night. Uh, I don't know that, like, the crowd's going to turn on the show or anything, but, you know, just something to keep an eye on. Um, but, yeah, I, I do think – I want to talk about the negotiation stuff, though, or not the negotiations, but, you know, FTR coming out every so often and being like, oh, he really wants to wrestle now, and he wants to wrestle with the elite. Uh, I'm of two minds on this. I think there's two ways you can really read it. One, you can read it as, like, very sincere – that it's all 100% the truth and that Punk does see money working with the Elite, which I think you could easily see. I don't think it's much of a stretch to imagine, like, oh, you, you know, with all the notoriety from the backstage incident at Brawl Out, um, that they could uh, get money off of this show, or off of that program, I should say. Or alternatively, it's not really hard to see the uh, the other side of things and it being just, you know, interpreting it as a very... Um, uh oh i lost the word i was going to use there my uh my vocabulary skills have failed me um but just a very uh, not quite sardonic but um something along those lines of like you know oh we're going to say we want to work with the elite so now if it doesn't happen which we don't actually want it to happen they look like the bad guys um I don't know which it is again, you know, it's remains to be seen the future will show. Um, but I don't know. It just, it feels like this has been happening on like a weekly basis at this point. And you know, what are we doing really? Like either you get your ducks in a row behind the scenes and it happens or it doesn't. And I'm kind of just tired of hearing them talk about it. Uh, FTR hair, or I'm sorry, FTR bald, I should say, reminds me of the, uh, I think it's the Looney Tunes dogs, where there's the big one, and then there's a the little one hopping around it that won't shut up, and uh, I think Dax is currently the little dog. And the big dog is the promise of CM Punk returning. I, yeah, and I, I, I also question, like, what CM Punk's going to be for, you know, the business of the company in three or six months after his return, too, because I think his numbers were starting to lag some um, in his initial run when he uh, then broke his foot diving into the crowd. Yeah. Um, th- this whole thing is interesting, and I'll, I'll kind of say this about kind of the contract stuff everybody's going to kind of position themselves in a way to make them look as good as possible. Um, This is a business and this is a business about making money. It's also a business about working literally everybody. Um, The only thing you don't want to do is as a promoter, work the boys and the girls. You don't want to do that. Um, You can get away with it in some instances, 
But if you were to bring back Punk without being forthright about it in in some way, then like that's how you lose a locker room. That's how you create even more turmoil. So I'm less concerned about, oh, Punk says, oh, yeah, I want to work with the elite. Well, there's a difference between being public facing about it and actually doing it. So I'm I'm keeping everything at arm's length here. I think that all, like all these people are smart enough to realize that because of everything that happened with Brawlout, everything that happened in the aftermath of it, with how big of a star CM Punk is. And look, television ratings have been slightly down, but at the end of the day, they're not in a bad spot. Less people are watching TV. And that's just a kind of a general hole when you look at these cable television rankings. Less people are watching. But AEW has been, for the most part, right about status quo um, as far as total viewership and within the margins of uh, what they were doing um, on average for the main viewership, 18 to 49. So when I look at everything, and it, obviously um, the Brandon Thurston's and Joe Lanz's of the world can correct me if they have the data and say, no, they're actually down. Like, I'll listen to that and I'll, I'll kind of readjust my stance. But when I look at these rankings, every, ratings every week, they're fine to good. And I don't really have many concerns about them. So if Punk comes back, they could end up going up. But I don't think it's been this massive deterrent that he went away. So I don't even think he can use that as leverage, um, especially when you're talking about some of these creative meetings. Like, just just figure it out. Be like, if Punk has to have his own separate locker room and stay away from people to kind of make this work, make a shit ton of money. Don't do the stupid invasion stuff that WWE absolutely botched with WCW and could have made them millions of dollars. I don't know if this is going to be on that level because wrestling's just in a completely different world than what it was in 2001. Mm -hmm. You can make a lot of money with the elite versus punk and FTR. You have the obvious connections with Kenny Omega and CM Punk being two of the best wrestlers of the past 20 years. You have the young bucks and FTR who've had their thing for a decade and then you have all the drama with Brawl Out and the fallout that became of it. You can make a ton of money with these guys. Figure out a way to get in a room, hash it out. You don't have to forgive. Just be professional on camera and don't be an asshole backstage. That's it. And you can make extra, like extrapolate the money. Like just imagine be like, hey, if you could do, let's say what All Out 2021 did 200,000 buys, I think it was, somewhere in that neighborhood. Maybe like all in does like 220, 230. And maybe you find a way to be like, Hey, you guys are working together and I'm going to give you guys a cut of this because you're doing this. Like, okay. Then maybe you can start having even more conversations because money will talk. Money is going to talk. Where else is CM Punk going to go? He's announcing like lower level UFC cards on ESPN plus. That's not exactly a phenomenal career move for him. And he's only has a limited time left to wrestle because he's almost 50. Like, yeah. they, these guys just need to figure it out. And until they do, I'm really not taking anything seriously from either camp saying, oh, I'll work with this guy. Fucking prove it. Like, you haven't done a shit. Like, I don't, why should I believe you until you actually show it? Because all it is is just political posturing to me. Basically, and I kind of wonder if we'll even end up like a uh, with a Hulk Hogan in his first air quotes run in TNA, where he showed up for a press conference and then noped out. Um, until he's in the ring opposite someone, I'm just not going to really believe it. I think at this point, um, 
you know, he could come back for a week and then, I don't know, get upset by, I don't know, Hangman Page putting his boots on wrong or God knows what and uh, just decide to, you know, burn uh, the whole place down as much as he can. Um, I, I, you know, I just, it's, I don't know, it, it feels like we're going in this circle and uh, with no sign of uh, anyone noticing and stopping <laughs> the, the circle. Yeah. Um, God damn it. I hate CM Punk. But we're, we're going to continue on, Fred, because we have a lot more to talk about than this bullshit. Until we get anything concrete, like it just kind of is what it is. What is concrete is Nick Wayne is going to be making his AEW debut on the July 12th Dynamite. I believe he's going to be defending the Defy Championship against Swerve Strickland because he won the Defy Championship from Swerve and Swerve made a challenge to him. Be like, hey, why don't you come to Dynamite when you turn 18? Because I believe the the minimum age Tony Khan is requiring you to work for him outside of negative one um, because that, <laughs> that is a completely unique deal. Right. Um, and that the is a good kind of child labor. Yeah, it's it's kind of hard to, for it to really be child labor when it's negative one and just the circumstances surrounding it. I mean, his mom right, now right. works for the company. It's just different. Yeah. Um, the age is 18. Otherwise, I think Nick Wayne would have been signed two years ago because Buddy Wayne's kid, like, this is this is an incredible talent. And we talked about it last week with our WrestleMania weekend recap. Like I had two East West Express matches in my top 10. Um, an article of which for that top 10, you can go look to find at voicesofwrestling.com. Um, high recommend you go check it out. There's a lot of really good stuff there that Fred put together. Um, the flagship talked about it in detail last week. For me, Nick Wayne is a borderline prodigy. I don't know if he's ever going to get to the level of Will Ospreay, but you can certainly see in his range of outcomes that he gets to a level of Will Ospreay. Sure. Because he has that those kind of flashes. The ceiling is very high. Um, it's a question of does he get there? And uh, I mean, I think his floor is also pretty high too, though, to be honest. Like, I mean, he doesn't really develop too much from here. I mean, you end up with a, you know, not particularly charismatic, solid worker. Um, there's worse things in life. Yeah. I mean, if he ends up just being a solid mid card guy, that's still a win because he presents a unique element to the mid card that, quite frankly, AEW doesn't have. It's a lot of bigger guys, a lot of brawlers. I mean, you could yeah. talk about the Lucha Brothers being in the mid-card. It seems like they've been cycled to Ring of Honor for now, especially holding the Tag Team Championships. You right. don't really have flippy Do in the mid-card, and that's a good thing to have, especially when you have a Wardlow, when you have a powerhouse Hobbs, when you have the big Bill. Get some contrast in there. And I think, um, I wonder, because we heard um, an ROA spoiler, I don't know if, I don't think it'll make it on camera, but after El Hijo Del Vikingo's match, against Gringo Loco on uh, the Ring of Honor tapings from uh, last night's Dynamite. He went out and hugged the Kingo. And I wonder if Jordan that Khan means... Did. Yeah. I wonder if that means there's a contract. I If you, if you have the opportunity to sign the Kingo, I think you have to. Um, guy is just outright amazing. I think he's like a once-in-a-generation kind of talent. Um, and... Uh, I don't know. I, I would easily do it. Um, I had a question for you as I try to move away from the microphone because I'm good at audio. Um, <laughs> I'm a professional. Um, this is what I get for listening to the Shutdown Fullcast right before we record. Um, 
what do you think of Action Andretti and how he's doing? Because I, I look at his stuff, like the reaction to him online, and there's a lot of pushback on him, which I'm kind of surprised by. I'm not coming on here saying that he's like any, like he, he's a superstar worker or anything, but I like what he does, and I think he's pretty good. I mean, there's obviously a lot of room for development there, and he's not a complete, you know, set of tools yet, but. I don't know. I, I don't. I'm always surprised when his name comes up in the reaction. Is like, oh, I'm sick of this guy. In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We hype ourselves up thinking ah, maybe I can pull a Ken Griffey Jr. rookie card, but with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now, introducing slab packs from Arena Club. Com, the only repack that provides real value, a complete view of all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Now, when I buy slab packs at Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. I was able to open an Arena Club slab pack, and, and I'll be honest, it was a lot better than what you normally do. Say you go to a card show, and there's a random innocuous brown bag of cards and yeah you can open it and look it's going to be junk you're you you know what i mean like you know what you're probably going to get in those maybe you find that fun and sometimes i do sometimes i like just opening up cards and saying oh hey look at some random cards or whatever but if you're really in this game to to find value and find particular cards it sucks to have to buy these mystery packs and it ends up being you know almost nothing you know nothing of value not with arena club you can display, again, of all available cards, hit rates, grading, so you know that when you're opening up the slab pack, you are going to get something valuable. You are getting something good. And Arena Club, in addition to having those great slab packs we just talked about, is also a marketplace for card collecting, buying, trading, selling, displaying, all that sort of stuff. But those Arena Club slab packs, man, they are revolutionizing the repack game with transparency. After your polls are revealed, they'll immediately be placed in your vault for safekeeping or trading and selling. And you can have them officially graded by Arena Club as well. So again, setting these things off, it's going to be officially graded by Arena Club. And the Arena Club grading process is accurate, fast, and transparent with full grade rationale provided and explanation of how your card was scored. So whether you're buying, selling, trading, or displaying, Arena Club is the card collecting platform that you have to check out. So right now, I've got a special offer here for Voices of Wrestling Network listeners. You can get 10% off of your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash V-O-W-Net. Again, that's arenaclub.com slash V-O-W-Net. Now, that's a crazy offer. That's 10% off a $400 slab pack. $40 off right there. 10% off your first purchase. No matter what that purchase is, 10% off again that's arena club.com slash vow net arena club.com slash vow net for 10 percent off your first purchase on arena club and we thank them for sponsoring the voices of wrestling podcast network that's a really good question i like the i like the idea right now of action andretti i don't know if i like action andretti i like and I think trying to distinguish the two, I think is really important here, Fred. I, I really don't know what to think because he got the huge win over Chris Jericho. They did the little mini feud with him and Starks, but then where are we going with him? Right. Um, and I think the frustrating part about one, how Tony Khan has been cycling guys in and out outside of the Jerichos, the elites, 
Um, if you get a guy like Action Andretti, who, hey, this guy's got it. He's really good. He's got potential. Jericho's going to put him over. Okay, well, then now what are you doing with him? Um, yeah. Where does he fit in? And I think that's kind of where we're at. And it's what, like, Tony Khan's not a perfect booker. He's the best booker in American wrestling. I don't think there's any question about it. He has his flaws. And we talked but, about that. Triple Paul. Triple Paul. I was assured. Yeah. I was yeah, told that why. he was the best work, best booker in America in just six months. I mean, I thought that the three I'm sorry, keys... Gringo Loco's a better booker than Triple H. Mm, like, I don't know. That's not what Dave Meltzer told me, but okay. <laughs> but Dave Meltzer hates WWE. Um, that, that was one of the funniest comments that I've seen in a long time. That if you think Dave Meltzer hates WWE, you don't listen to his audio enough. Um, look, and I think they're... Um, Smart minds can differ on this, but Triple H um, had positives, especially initially that little things were changing. You weren't going to have these massive booking shifts. You just can't do that. You have to slowly implement what you're doing. And he just was never able to fully pull the trigger on a lot of the positives that we saw in NXT. Um, Obviously, it's a lot different when you're answering to shareholders, when you have Vince... I, I wouldn't be surprised if it came out later that Vince was kind of running the show outside of everything. And he was using triple H as somewhat of a proxy. Um, I think that would be, that could end up coming out, and, but this is all speculation. I don't know. And I want to preface that because I don't want this going on Reddit and somebody being like, Oh, Tyler said that Vince was always running the show. Would it surprise you if Vince was always running the show? No, not at all. Like <laughs> it's it's who Vince is, um, outside of you know being a sex pest. Um, but Tony, like, let's get back to Tony Khan because that's the whole uh, premise of this conversation, Fred. I want to see what's going on with Action Andretti. I want to see how that's going to impact um, him long term because all of a sudden you started giving this guy like a real push with the the shocking win over Jericho, and now he's just kind of. I don't know only backstage like and that's the cycling in and out i think is going to be a real hindrance to the development of action andretti and i need more from him especially with how you introduced him to the audience yeah i i think there's a lot to show with him and i think he's kind of stuck in that mid-card vortex that does happen in aw sometimes but later like you pop up and lose and then go back into it uh, but like, I think as a worker, he's he's better than he probably should be. Um, I think he's like good. I'm not gonna say it's great or anything, but he's good and capable of having good matches. Um, I don't know. I just uh, it's surprising to me. Yeah. Um, let's con- let's continue on. A couple more um, news things. Um, Meltzer reported that the video game is ready to go. Just waiting on marketing. The video company has uh, pushed back on it, saying it's not ready yet. I'm so sick of this video game. It's supposed to be out a year and a half ago. Yeah. Like, I do you want me to just like stop putting it in the show notes until it comes out? Like, no, is, I mean, I, I'm okay I, with I, that. I think it's fine. Um, I do. Um, but that nah, just hurry the fuck up already. Um, last piece of notes before we get into an interesting dynamite. Next week's AW Rampage will air on Saturday the 22nd at 10 p.m. Eastern. Look, there's going to be a lot of Rampage changes. So if you are a consistent viewer of Rampage, make sure you're paying attention 
because it will change uh, because we have both the NHL and NBA playoffs for essentially the next two months. There's going to be a lot of rampage changes and you're going to want to keep paying attention, especially these first few weeks when it's probably going to be even worse. Yeah, probably, especially with the NBA playoffs, like uh, soon going to be in full bore um, and Turner still having the contract with them. I think that's going to be a uh, major thing to watch for. Yeah. All right, let's get to this dynamite, Fred. Can I get started I thought- here? Can I, can I uh, hijack this real quick? Well, you already did, so go. Okay, cool. Um, asking for what I'm doing while I'm doing it is good. Uh, so I I, um, I thought this was like an okay show, but I also am kind of down on the direction of some stuff. Okay. Um, I, I think there's a lot of, and part of this is watching last week's Rampage. I did not get to Battle of the Belts. But I think there's a, a creeping amount of WWEification in AEW outside of like the sports entertainers, JAS gimmick or MJF doing his long talking segments that I'm kind that I'm not enjoying. Um, there was an extremely nonsense DQ finish on rampage that definitely felt like a WWE style. We got to get out of this match DQ spot when house of black face best friends, as if you couldn't just, be best friends in that situation, which I didn't like. Um, the Wardlow forklift angle felt way out of time. Like, it felt decades out of place. Um, and I also, like, you know, just other things like showing the non-MJF four pillars, watching matches at the WWE, you know, viewing angle in some cases where they're like, looking at the screen, but also have to have their faces towards the, you know, the camera to some extent. Um, I don't know, man, like this stuff I'm not into and it seems to be increasing a little bit and maybe it's just like one, you know, just a week of weird coincidences plus add on like the QTV gimmick, which I'm really down on. And um, I don't know, man, I'm just, I just got, you know, I'm, I'm maybe I'm in a grumpy place right now, but I'm not feeling it. Um, not feeling some stuff with this company right now. I kind of get it, um, and I think some of that um, sports entertainment aspect that you kind of alluded to with the WWE centric booking is—I mean, Jericho Appreciates the Society kind of brought that to the forefront in this company, and I think it's kind of leaked in other things. Um, I'm. Now, I will give a little pushback, um, and I want to ask this question before I do. Sure. Um, how much of that has to do with the fact that we're planning on a four-way for double or nothing? You know, I'm okay with that in the abstract. I'm not opposed to that. If it became a regular thing, it would be more of an issue with me. But, like, I, I get the idea of, oh, we got the four pillars, and they've been developing for almost four years at this point. Now it's time to let's give them a highlight match between all four of, four of them at once. Like that makes sense to me and that doesn't bother me. Okay. Because I think that's, I thought that might be a big part of your argument. Not really. No. Doing, yeah, doing a, a four way. Like, I mean, hell WWE used to have fatal four way as a pay-per-view concept. Right. How fucking stupid is that? But it's, I, I, I see some of it and like, I'm going to bury this right now. I, I'm not even going to skip to it. That fucking car angle sucked. It was not good. How, okay, one, how stupid is that? 
too. That's a cool car. It's what was the, was that an '87 Monte Carlo? Why would you destroy that? They didn't really destroy it though. They just knocked out the windows. If you notice, no, 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 no. They did because they flipped it with the, well, the forklift. Yeah, you can polish that out. It'll be fine. I, I did enjoy before the flip where um, Orlo was like just hitting the trunk with the uh, with the with a pipe, and the car nose sold it. <laughs> it just bounced right off. I thought that was funny. Um, the car, the car will probably be okay. Um, yeah, I, I didn't like that angle at all either. And then um, when you when I saw that like Powerhouse Hobbs was going to take the title from from Wardlow, if you told me that in isolation, I've been like, that sounds cool as hell. Maybe they'll have a feud where they just do the beefy boys, you know, beating each other up bit. And instead, we got this QTV gimmick that is death it is bad um like I, i'm putting it on the level of like mel um as one of the worst things in AEW history i think at this point like just completely out of place and not good um and then you've got like powerhouse Hobbs being shunted off to the side as like almost a secondary figure in this this feud because of the way they've been presenting qt marshall and like I'm not against QT Marshall as a guy. I think he has some talent. I think he's a decent mid-card heel slash mouthpiece kind of guy. But that, this feud has been shit to me. Like just terrible. Yeah, it honestly was it is terrible. And that's one of the reasons why I'm not um not really excited about it. And that angle stunk. I thought, um, and I asked this question in the Slack last night. Um it felt like to me at the end of that segment that the crowd didn't give a shit about Wardlow or this. It the, felt like the, they just died. The post MJF creative for Wardlow has been rough, man. I, I think that they were doing okay when he was the TNT champion and just winning. And like the Samoa Joe feud was pretty good. Uh, but I also don't know that it was really doing much to get Wardlow over. Uh, but I, you know, I don't know that you should have shunted them right to the world title picture and throw out all your other plans either. But what they've done with them is not great, in my opinion. Yeah, it's. I don't know they've heard him yet, but I'm worried that they are going to. You know. Yeah. Uh, no, I 100% agree. Let's uh, let's start with this dynamite and we're going to probably bury a little more than we thought we were, I thought we were going to going into the show, but that is okay. And we are going to start here, uh, Fred with Darby Allen versus the mogul embassies, Swerve Strickland with Prince Nana and the Rashid Brian Cage. What a yeah. dumb stable name. <laughs> Dude, yeah. I don't like that stable name. It's stupid. It is stupid, but uh, I like the pairing of Swerve and, um, and Prince Nana, I think that's fun as hell. Yeah. Um, okay, so overall this match, um, the finish, I found very interesting. Because one of the talking points here, Fred, was how are they going to get out of this? They're trying to push Swerve Strickland. They just paired him with Prince Nana. And Darby Allen's going to have a title shot. How are you going to get out of this? And I thought it was interesting that Darby hit the coffin drop and then um, the foot ended up on the rope because of Prince Nana. Um, Swerve got his little um, double knee or double stomp gimmick on the on the head on the Darby, and Darby ends up kicking out, and Darby ends up winning with the Last Supper, which I thought it, they got out of it enough um, to really not hurt Swerve. But I thought the match was 
pretty good. It, Darby is Darby, and he's an absolute moron in the ring in, in all the best ways. Yes. Like, it, it's Darby. He, he's literally trying that to kill him. That is a positive himself. statement. Um, and I thought Swerve was a really fun opponent for him. I gave it three and three quarters, and I think they have something way better in them down the line. I went four on this bottom of the notebook kind of match. Um, I thought this was a lot of fun. There were a couple minutes where maybe it wasn't like the best match in the world, but I thought overall it was really good. Um, we'll get to it later on in the show. I do think Swerve's being redirected nicely, uh, where this loss won't affect him too much, and I think he'll be just fine. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it, it's interesting. Um but they tried cheating at the end. Um, Brian Cage comes out, and and then Darby ends up overcoming it. But this is where things got interesting. Just like last week with – or I think it was last week or the week before, Jungle Boy had a singles match to open the show. MJF's music hits. MJF's music hits and comes out. And some very I- interesting promos. And I want your take on the Darby promo. I really liked it. I thought it was real. It was genuine. He talks about um, helping helping his dad retire, buying his parents' house, and then um, going going to therapy um, to help like help himself. I I really liked this. Um, I don't think it was the best promo in the world, but Darby's promo is going to look like dirt in comparison to Sting and MJF who followed him. Like it's. It's just a different kind of promo. I don't think it was bad by any stretch. Well, I don't think it was bad either, but the other two were much better because they're also much better promos. So just by the transitive property, it looks worse. And that's not necessarily fair to Darby. It's just kind of the reality of the situation. I thought this was very good. And I was a big fan. Um, I I like how he kind of calls out MJF for being like kind of going against himself. And Darby kind of talks about, I you know, um, I want to say he was kind of talking a little bit about imposter syndrome, um, not being good enough. And then he kind of figured out that he just needs to make himself happy, not other minutes. Um, he says, Max, this is just a 15 minute ride. See, I'm not like you. I'm not going to lower my morals to, to, to be somebody in this world. Um, so if you've got something to say, keep talking. And then MJF does. And at the end um, says he'll do whatever it takes to have a legacy in this sport by the time it's done. MJF, the greatest of all time. Your legacy will read Sting's bitch. And one, that, that line's phenomenal. Two, then we get Sting coming out. And I love this. And <laughs> we got Carrot Top Sting. Oh, I love this. Um, Garrett Kidney, host of You've Got to Be Kidding Me, talks about the Monty Brown Sting promo as daycare. Um, and the, he he references the that he's not a daycare kind of guy. Um, and He's like, I think of myself more like a cheerleader. And he said, I'll stop now if you promise to stop with this Cody daycare stuff. Oh, I said Cody, didn't I? Like, I kind of like ribbing like, oh, Cody's in the other company now. But everything's canon. So I, I really appreciated yeah. that. Um, oh, I said Cody, didn't I? It hurts because you had a cheerleader in Cody. Darby has one in me. And a young Sting uh, had one in Ric Flair. Um, I don't have a hunger for this world title. Showtime is almost over. But showtime is just starting for Darby Allen. Max, mark my words, Darby Allen will become an AEW heavyweight, world heavyweight champion. It is showtime. Um, and then Darby finished off. This fake plastic world is not taking me alive, Max. I am leaving the next AEW world champion. 
I don't think Darby's walking out double or nothing with that title, but I am more confident now that Darby's winning that belt eventually and then losing it probably in two weeks. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I yeah. <laughs> Pretty much. Yeah, it's this is great. Um, Sting being Sting, obviously he's announced that this is the last year as a professional wrestler. Give me more Sting. Give me more Sting. Give me more Sting. And I want Sting versus MJF before the pay-per-view. I don't know if we're going to get it. But if you want to do like a show end of the month like or beginning of May, that's like a bigger dynamite, that's a main event people would pay to go see. Um, especially because MJF works like, like uh, a guy in Jim Crockett promotions in 1987. Like, this is awesome. Um, next up, we had um, the bullshit, the TNT Open Challenge. Um, really sucks that one, you didn't get the Milwaukee pop for Silas Young. Um, that entrance was done during the commercial break yeah. and then Hobbs just squashed him really disappointing because Silas Young can work. Yeah. Uh, it's a shame. I think Silas is probably past his prime at this point, but I think he's still pretty good from the little bit I've seen of him, uh, since the end of his, you know, the, the ring of honor he was in. Uh, but yeah, we already talked about the, the aftermath, but you know, just not great, man. Not great. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this this stinks. Um, it really does. Um, I, there's really no other way to say it. Let's uh, the this I found interesting: the AEW International Championship match, freshly squeezed Orange Cassidy versus the House of Black's Buddy Matthews with Julia Hart. Um, the story of this match was really circled on Orange Cassidy's um hurt hand. Um, and this match was awesome. Um. I I really appreciated how well these guys worked together. I went four and a quarter. I thought this was great. Buddy Matthews just looks like a killer in there. Everything he, he does just looks like it comes off like really physical and violent. And that really fits what he is right now with the House of Black. And the the win where um they were kind of exchanging um like uh near falls. And then um, Orange Cassidy got him with the mousetrap. And I really like how AEW is a company of, hey, these guys are two really good wrestlers. And they're going to win with not roll-ups necessarily, even though they do that. They're going to win with pinning combinations like, like we had with the Last Supper and Darby Allen, And we have with the mousetrap. We have uh, the seatbelt lock, I think is what it's called, with Wheeler Yuta. Mm-hmm. Wrestlers who are who can't just put a guy away are winning with these creative um, pinning combinations. And I think it's great because it doesn't really, it doesn't hurt buddy at all. He got caught by a really good pinning predicament and that's it. Yeah, I agree. Um, And uh, I like this match too. I went four flat on it. Um, Good stuff. I thought. Yeah, it's really, really good stuff. Um, this I loved a vignette of Luchasaurus and Christian Cage with the red light, just Luchasaurus looking like he's about to kill somebody. And all Christian says, Some things have changed. I have no idea what the hell is going on, but yeah. I loved this. This was great. Yeah, I thought this was a good segment. Um, I'm looking forward to them. I assume they're going to be either a tag team or Christian will be mainly a mouthpiece for, for Luchasaurus, but I think it'll be good regardless. Renee Paquette backstage with Lawrence Cassidy and best friends looking for a medical update. 
This was awesome. Best Friends Challenge Aussie Open for Rampage. These guys are psychos. I love Aussie Open. Um, Kyle Fletcher just gets a massive gash on his ear that causes him to bleed buckets. And it was so bad that they taped him up mid-match. And Fletcher looked like a made man in that match. Um, and I love Mark Davis too, but Fletcher looks like he could be a dude. And now they're going to just fly overseas and they're just going to wrestle best friends. Yeah, I love pretty it. Much. Yeah. Um, should be fun. Um, I expect it to be a very good match. Um, like four stars is the baseline, I think, for that one. So it should be something to see for sure. Yeah. Um, next up, uh, we think we're getting Black Bull Combat Club versus Michael Nakazawa and Brandon Cutler. But it's all ego Ethan Page in the ring with a microphone um, talking about uh, how they've had a rough patch and they need to know why Matt Hardy hit me in the head. And um, basically, he got something in the contract and said, if I, I get to choose our next match, and when we win, we're no longer on contract to Stokely and the firm. This is where Jeff Hardy's music comes out. And it is what it is. Um, it looks like we're going to get a trios match. Isaiah Cassie, the Hardy boys versus the firm. And we're finally going to get that split. Yeah. Um, well overdue. Um, you know, sometimes Tony Khan does like two month storylines. And then sometimes he does some that seem to run for a year. And this has somehow been one of those weird one year long storylines that, uh, seems unnecessarily long for who's involved with it so i guess it's good that we're getting some uh some uh finally some resolution with it uh we already talked about the hardies a little bit i'm not super super pumped to see where this goes i reckon but yeah you know we'll we'll see how it goes yeah and it's this just get this over with um message played uh, by kenny omega where omega was very darkish um says i speak to the bucks almost every day we promise that this problem you have with us bcc will be taken care of in the ring but when you hurt don Callis and left him in a pool of his own blood i take it personally and i get it it's not the most likable guy but he's still family and when you mess with someone's family that's when you cross a line so it's not going to be blood for blood because that'd be music to ears it's going to be much worse and I'm very intrigued to see what that becomes because the blood for blood, like that tells me something else is in the pipeline other than like a blood and guts match. What was your take? Uh, I don't know what it's specifically setting up. I think it was just a promise. I just took it as like a promise or revenge. That's all like just a baby face saying that he'll uh, get his. Um, I thought this was a good promo. Um, and uh yeah, I do wish sometimes AEW would just give promos a little more time. You didn't even touch on the Juice Robinson Jay White promo earlier because it was just kind of such a nothing. Um, and when you got two guys that can talk like they can, it feels like a shame to only devote like basically sixty seconds to it. You know, uh, those two can. I, I think AEW does sometimes really shortchange some of the people there on the that aren't quite in the main event scene yet that can talk by not giving them enough time to get over with their talking. And uh, I do think that's kind of a weakness uh, with AW booking sometimes. Yeah. Um, we'll see how this goes. This was a it, probably this. 
this could have been squash of the year. And I thought it was really good regardless. Um, Michael Nakazawa bladed within a minute of this match. He was bleeding buckets. Brandon Cutler was bleeding under his mask, which was a cool visual. Yeah. And they fought valiantly like they should have. And Blackpool Combat Club just beat the living piss out of them and put them away. Um, and this was this this was really good. Um, for it, As far as squashes go, I gave it a four and a quarter. As far as just matches overall, eh, three-star match. I went three and a half on it just because I do think it was a really fun squash. Um, and uh, I don't know, between this and the Moxley Evil Uno one, AEW has figured out how to have very entertaining squashes, which I am mm-hmm. glad about. But Which yeah, is hilarious I mean, because the squash with Powerhouse Hobbs and Silas Young stunk. Yeah, that was not good. Uh, when they, when they actually have a storyline to do with a squash, like the Rampage squashes are almost always just complete wastes of time. Like, I don't think they're really getting anyone over with those three-minute matches for the most part. It's just a way to, like, feature someone. Um, but these Moxley ones have been great, I think. Yeah, yeah Moxley. It's also Moxley. So That too, yeah. Um, all right. Then it, Moxley grabs a mic after the match. Where are the Young Bucks? Where's the Cowboy? Where's Don Cows? They're still at the hospital. They have glass jaws. That's not the Elite. We put the Elite in all Elite Wrestling. And then this this was great. Kenny Omega comes down the ramp after his music hits. And he just looks great. He's got jeans on. Like His upper body just looks chiseled. He looks like he's ready to come out and beat some ass. And then the Young Bucks come back, come behind, and they deliver super kicks to Claudio and Yuta. And then they're a, Kenny Omega is about to hit Mox in the head with what looks like a speaker box or some kind of traveling equipment. It was like a, a gearbox, I think, uh, yeah. like a, a road case of sorts. Road case, that's the word I was looking for. The Bucks stop him. to be like, hey, we're not like them. But then they pull out a screwdriver, and, and Omega's about to stab him in the forehead with the screwdriver, and Moxley gets pulled out of the ring. This is going to get violent. This is going to get brutal. This is going to mm-hmm. get physical, and this is going to get really ugly. Um, I think this, like, obviously, Mox and Omega had the um, exploding barbar death match. Um, outside of that, this is... This could be very interesting um, as far as what the blow-off is going to be because I I wonder if they're going to evolve blood and guts because this they're going to need to for something like this. Yeah, it's going to be very interesting to see where this feud ends up going. Uh, I mean, blood and guts feels like the natural thing with the number of people per side. Uh, but, um, you know, remains to be seen, I reckon. Yeah, uh, 100%. All right, let's let's continue on because that is something that is going to be um, we're going to keep an eye on for a while. Riho and Sky Blue take on the Outcast, Ruby Soho and Tony Storm with Soraya. Um, this was fine. Um, this was a continued evolution of the story. Um, they get uh, a pin on Sky Blue. Tony Storm hits the Storm Zero. Uh, after a, a nice little hip attack in the corner, um, Riho jumps back to try and uh, prevent them from kicking her ass. Well, they end up kicking Riho's ass and, and do the triple power bomb and spray an L on her uh, midsection. Hater comes down to help Riho. They swarm Hater, but, but Baker comes out. Baker goes for the curb stomp and Soraya, but they pull her out. To me, my 
kind of thoughts here, Fred, is they're setting up uh, Jamie Hayter versus Soraya for double or nothing. Yeah, that's a possibility. Um, I think um, one one thing I have an issue with here, I thought this was a fine match, like two and three quarters. It was solid. Um, but I think one weakness here was that um, they, it feels like they really did a repeat angle here right after the elite stuff. And the elites, you know, BCC stuff is much better. So unfortunate. Yeah, I mean, we'll see. Um, I, I've I think Soraya's transitioned really nicely in this company. It was rough at first, but I think she's found a little bit of a groove and understands how to connect with this crowd um, a little better and at least draw heat, not go away heat, heat. Yes. And I think I think this is working. Now, will it continue to work and will it evolve? We don't know that answer yet, but I think this is this is good for now. And I'm, I'm going to keep it at arm's length because it could go sour at any time. And we've seen that with some of the women's division. But this is the best group of talent they've ever had. And this story right now is working. And I'm they have me. I'm I want to see what's next. Yeah, I think this has turned out to be pretty decent. Um, I'm not like going hog wild about it, but I think it's been solid-ish, and uh, they, they they steered out of the skid pretty decently. Yeah. Um. Okay. Main event: Keith Lee versus Chris Jericho. Um, look, good match. Um, not great. I thought this could have been better. But then you had uh, Swerve rocking Keith Lee with a foreign object out of nowhere, and Jericho gets the win. But And so we're getting uh, a revamped direction for both Swerve Strickland and Keith Lee, which should have been their direction overall. Uh, but I think the most important thing here, Fred, Adam Cole interrupts Chris Jericho's celebration with his music to go check on his buddy Keith Lee and does the exact same thing Jericho did to him last or two weeks ago. This was great. Um, Jericho just gets this really pissed off, almost crying look in the ring as Adam Cole does the exact same thing to Jericho. Like this was incredibly executed. Like how they went about this finish was a, was five stars. Um, the match, nah, borderline four-star match. I thought they have better, but it was good. Uh, but it, how they finished the show, I thought was so tremendous. They built off of what was already started and they did the exact same thing, just reversed. And now Jericho's going to have something to whine and bitch about next week. And we're going to be able to see how this feud takes off. Yeah. Um, you know, I think that it was a decent setup for Cole and Jericho. Um, I did not, I thought the match underachieved relative to what it should have been. Um, I just think that it was kind of several cool spots surrounded by just kind of less than great wrestling at points. But it was still good, like three and a quarter good in my book. Um, but yeah, I thought, you know, this was ended up okay. Um, I'm, you know, interested to see where the Adam Cole Jericho feud goes and uh, what direction specifically it'll take. And uh, yeah. Yeah, um, th this was overall a very interesting dynamite. Um, hard to really complain about anything being bad outside of the car destruction <laughs> angle. But I thought that they, uh, I'm a little more invested in some of these stories than I think you are, but I think your concerns are 100% fair. Um, I'm intrigued to see what happens next week. Um, next week, we have 
we have some stuff announced. I don't have that in front of me, but I know Rampage is going to be best friends versus Aussie Open. It's a load of Rampage. There's like seven things. Yeah. Um, Surprisingly deep. Yeah. Next week, I I can't remember what's announced for next week. Um, I can't yeah, remember I, either. I didn't, and I forgot to note those things. So, yeah, it is what it is. Um, look, this is. I'm excited to um, continue to uh, see where this company goes, and this is going to be a very fun summer. Yeah, um, I thought this was not the best show by far. I thought it was like a 6 out of 10, which is for AEW, is for Dynamite, is on the weaker end of things. But I still like several things on the show, and uh, I think they're still building some good things. Yeah, it's uh, like that's an awful Dynamite by Dynamite standards. Um, well, yeah, we will see um, how, how things continue to develop. I am going to take a look here to see if... Um, if anything's changed or anything's been released for ratings, I have not seen anything. Um, it's it's just past three uh, central time when the ratings end up coming out. So, yeah, I am also checking right now. It doesn't look like anything out there. So. Well, we tried. Um, that, Fred, that's our show. Um, any final thoughts before um, we take off here for the day? No, I don't think so. Um, you know, AW's doing fine. It's a solid promotion, and uh, excited to see what uh, next week brings. Yeah, me too. Um, I th- I think that's that's what's really really intriguing about uh, this company right now. All right, let's. Uh, Let's wrap this sucker up. You can follow the show on Twitter at GoodBadHungi. Uh, you, you can uh, email the show at HungiPod at gmail.com. Ask us questions there. Or you can do so in the Voice of Wrestling Discord channel in our own uh, The Good, The Bad, and The Hungi channel as well. Um, you can follow me on Twitter at The Real Forno. All my Vikings work at Vikings First and Skull YouTube channel or TheVikingsWire.com. You can follow Fred at Fragrant, Fragrant Wrestling with an R, not a W, because he likes Ted Turner. And you can also follow Fred's Patreon, which the link for that is in the show notes. Thank you all for listening. If you are listening in the Voices of Wrestling podcast feed, please consider uh, subscribing to our regular feed, The Good, The Bad, and The Hungi, so we can continue to grow the show in the country of Turkey and worldwide. From Fred, I am Tyler. Have a great day. Fuck Vince McMahon. Hey, kids, do you like wrestling? Well, we like wrestling, too. We are Shake Them Ropes here on the Voices of Wrestling Podcasting Network. Myself and Chris Novembrino kind of doing a lazy river of wrestling criticism, going through the news and whatever happened in stateside television wrestling. And also, you know what? Sometimes we just like to watch old stuff and talk about that, too. Love for you to give us a listen. If you haven't already, we are Shake Them Ropes here on the Voices of Wrestling Podcasting Network.